You've come to the right place. If you're a course creator looking to build more impact, income, and freedom, LMS Cast is the number one podcast for course creators just like you. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of the most powerful tool for building, selling, and protecting engaging online courses called Lifter LMS. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name's Chris Badgett and I'm joined by a special guest, Marcel Pettipaw. He's coming at us from just up the road from me. I'm in Maine. Marcel's in Moncton, New Brunswick. Welcome to the show, Marcel. Thanks for having me here. It's great to be here. I'm super excited to dig in um, to your background as a you know agency owner and how you help agencies now. But for the course creators out there, for the membership site builders, for the people who build websites and marketing services and all kinds of services for that industry, when you're running a business, especially if you didn't go to business school, what area do people really mess up or, or get blindsided by that you see a lot? I think a lot of people forget that they have to think about the cost of earning their revenue when they have any kind of service component to their business. They forget to quantify the cost of that time. And this is the reason that I think a lot of agency owners end up struggling with cash flow when they start to grow their team. That definitely happened to me. I mean, I got, uh, there's something uh, that happens, especially an agency owner or a freelancer they tend to be pretty empathetic. They tend to be pretty giving, you know, they're working on somebody's problems and it's easy to like discount the amount of time, or maybe I don't know the answer. I can't charge the client for having to learn this thing or whatever. Can you just tell us more about what you mean about yeah. where people get into trouble? Yeah. So I think so much of like the traditional business advice uh, and traditional business logic comes from product companies and more very traditional service businesses where everything was kind of time boxed or everything was based on the billable hour. So like if you think about traditional service businesses, you go to your barber, like, you know, you're going to be there for 30 minutes. Very rarely is there a huge delineation from like your, your barber is not going to experience an hour of scope creep on your haircut. Like that's just not going to happen. Right. And your lawyers and your accountants are typically charged by the hour. So with them, the cost of earning the revenue is relatively fixed. And with a product company, you pay for your inventory, you know what that thing costs you, and then you sell it for more money than it costs you. The thing that's unique about any kind of service component, whether it's um, coaching calls that you include in your, um, in your training program or your online course, or if you're building websites, you know, you have a variable cost, which is the amount of time that it takes you to complete that task. And what's different about that business model is when you sell revenue, it doesn't belong to you yet. You have to earn it and you earn it by working time against it. And a lot of people, I think, forget about that. They see revenue as revenue and they forget that when I sell the revenue, the work's not done. And so what's misleading about that is you end up in this situation where you can try to sell yourself out of poor cash flow by selling more stuff and temporarily it alleviates the problem. But if you don't have a process in place to profitably earn that revenue, you actually end up making the problem worse. And I, I've seen this happen time and time again where, and I'm sure if you're sitting at home and you, you've run a service business, um, you've probably had that month where you're like, I have been so busy this month. It has been crazy. I've been working like dogs. And you look at your bank account at the end of the month, you're like, why don't I have any money in here? This doesn't make any sense. That and, happened and that's to me. Probably what's going on. I'm just remembering a story. I remember in my agency. I remember one month I had made the most month, and this I had grown it up. It was, I had two business partners, and um, 
there was 14 contractors that worked with us to fulfill the service. And I remember we had a 70 grand month and we were having a hard time paying ourselves. I'm like, how is this even possible? <laughs> it, it, it was, uh, but I think it's a lot of what you said there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not being clear about what it costs you to earn revenue and not being clear about, you know, how important it is to optimize your process, to earn that revenue as efficiently as possible. So I think that's the biggest, if, if anyone listening can take one thing away from this, it's that like, understand your business model. If you have services, if you run a service company, or if you include services in your course or in your software business or whatever it is that you're doing, understand that your business model includes earning revenue. That's something you have to factor in. You don't have a fixed cost. Revenue is not created equal and you are accountable for managing the process by which you earn that revenue to make sure that it's uh, profitable and hopefully profitable at like the 50 to 70% gross margin level. Those should be your target gross margins on services when you install them in your business. Uh, unless they're a loss leader, like for example, maybe a, a setup or a configuration for your SaaS company that might be an exception or maybe, you know, some kind of setup for your training program. But if you're trying to make money on services, you should be aiming for a 50 to 70% gross margin on that service. Do you have any advice around productized service versus just more open coaching consulting service? How to think about it? I, I see productized services being pretty popular. Like there's these packages mm -hmm. and there's limited customization and stuff. But I mean, can we control, can we get in less trouble with productized services? So I think we, what we want to do is take a step back and think about um, just the fundamentals of a service business model and then use our context to establish what the best pricing model is for us. Um, there's a lot of conversation in the industry right now about you should be doing value-based pricing. You should not be billing by the hour. You should be doing this, that, and the other thing. But the truth is, if you run a software development agency and you're doing extremely complex, bespoke work for you know enterprise clients, you probably should be billing by the hour because it's it might be impossible to scope the work that they're asking you to do and come up with a fixed price and consistently be hitting margins on that. So maybe you should be billing by the hour, but if you do something else, like maybe uh, digital marketing services where there's a very clearly defined process, then you're probably in a position there where you want to use a different pricing model. But what you essentially want to come back to is how can we increase our average billable rate and maximize our average billable rate. And so that is a, a metric that defines for every hour that my team works, how much revenue does the business earn? And we get to that number by taking our revenue and dividing it by the amount of time that we worked to earn that revenue in any given period of time. Could be a week, could be a month, could be a year. Most of the time, the easiest thing to do is take your accounting data at the end of the year, look at what was my revenue minus all of my you know, pass through expenses. So contractors and ad spend and print budgets and whatever, take all that out. How much money belongs to us as a business? And then look at your time tracking data and divide those two numbers. That'll tell you what your average billable rate is. And so you should be optimizing your pricing strategy and the way that you package your um, services around how to consistently increase that number as much as possible. Because if you can increase your average billable rate, well, then that means that if your team can work 10,000 hours in a year, then and you're earning an extra $20 an hour, well, guess what? You just made a whole bunch of extra money without having to work any more time, without having to add any more staff, without having to increase your overhead. That's pure profit. So that's what you're trying to optimize your pricing strategy for. So again, once we have that established, once we understand that that's the goal, then what we want to do is look at what kind of services am I offering? 
Um, where am I on that journey of figuring out what my processes are? How predictable is the scope of work on these kinds of things? And often if it's very predictable, then we want to lean to more of a productized service. And if it's very unpredictable and there's a lot of uncertainty, then we probably want to go back to more uh, of a billable hour or, you know, a more risk averse pricing strategy, essentially. That's awesome. Um, I was saying with you, talking with you in our pre-chat, I'm, I'm more of like an intuitive, like qual person, qualitative. And I, I need serious help on like the quantitative (laughs) and, um, that's why I have a good business partnership with my business partner, Thomas, who's more, uh, quantitative. But, uh, if there, if a freelancer, say like a designer or a website builder, artist type, very more qualitative, like, and they're, they're ready to level up. What, what are the main metrics to focus on? Cause I, I know in my experience, whenever I come into the world of the, um, quantitative there's a lot of metrics but there's sort of some some are more important than others at different times like let's say our agency is a little bit out of control like we realize like oh we're we're not managing our cash flow well what should we focus on like what are the top three to five areas to focus on first to kind of understand where we're at and maybe start getting some insight so we can make effective decisions Totally. Um, so I'm glad you asked this question because this is like the number one talking point for me. And, um, this, the reason I started my company, um, it's very, very hard to figure out what the right numbers to look at are as an agency owner. And it's also really hard to actually run a report to get insight into those numbers. Like if you wanted to know, and, and you know, if you're sitting at home listening to this and you have a service component in your business, if I asked you how, what was the profit margin on your last three clients? you would probably have to go build a spreadsheet to answer that question for me. And you probably have to pull data from three different places, you know, your accounting tool, maybe your time tracking tool, maybe your project management tool, maybe there's a spreadsheet in Google Drive somewhere with information on what the terms were for that contract and what the scope was. If I asked you, um, what was your average billable rate compared to what you had planned for and budgeted when you scoped out the project originally? That's probably another spreadsheet, right? So this is the problem that we're trying to solve. So anyway, that's a a small anecdote, but, um, the question you asked was what are the most important numbers for an agency owner to track? Um, and really for me, it comes back to the three core metrics for the business model. And the business model is I'm bulk purchasing somebody's time. Uh, generally if I'm hiring them as an employee or if it's a freelancer, I'm, I'm purchasing their time and we're making an agreement that I'm going to resell that time to somebody else at a profit. So that's essentially what we're doing. So if you have staff that's kind of in-house and full-time, then what you want to pay attention to is number one, your capacity, which is how much work could you accomplish in any given period of time. And that's defined generally by how many hours you have available to you. So you could look at your staff, you could look at how many hours a day do they come to the office? How many of those hours every day do we expect them to be working on client stuff and not sitting in meetings or eating pizza with the team at lunch or, you know, filling out reports for us? Uh, what are the holidays that are coming up? How much time off do we give them? So, you know, let's look at the next quarter. How many working days are there? How many billable hours can we expect? That's our capacity. So that's number one. It's important to know your capacity because that number allows you to look at your sales pipeline and figure out, do we need to hire people? Maybe we're overstaffed. Are there areas of the business where we need to sell more stuff because our designers are going to be busy, but our developers are going to be sitting around twiddling their thumbs. So super important metric that helps you get a whole bunch of insight into the future. The second one is your utilization. So how much of your capacity are you utilizing to do stuff that gets you paid? 
right? So again, it doesn't matter if you bill by the hour, if you bill on value, if you bill flat rates, if you have a productized service, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you have to have your team spending as much time as possible earning revenue, which means you have to have enough revenue coming in for them to effectively earn. So there's a balance there, but utilization rates are super, super key. Some benchmarks around utilization, you should be aiming for a 65% billable utilization for your team on an annual basis, um, between 65 and 75%. 75% is where you start to get into the high end of that. Anything below 60, generally it starts to get problematic. You start to struggle a little bit with cash flow, unless you have like crazy high average billable rates and you can get away with it, uh, which I hope that's the case for you. For most people, that generally isn't the case. So 65% for utilization and on a week to week basis, like just your weekly targets, most people are asking their billable team to be doing anywhere from 32 to 36 hours a week billable. Um, unless it's a specialized position like a team leader or a project manager, they'll generally be a little bit lower anywhere from 25 to 30 hours a week because uh, they have other responsibilities within the team. So you might be looking at, you know, a 75 to 90% utilization rate on a week to week basis. And then when you net that out and annualize it, including vacation and holiday parties and all that other kind of stuff, you'll probably end up closer to 65%. So capacity, number one, utilization, number two, and number three, we already talked about it, average billable rate. For each hour that your team has available that they use to work for clients, how much money does your business make? So that's adjusted revenue, revenue minus all kinds of cost of goods sold, pass through expenses divided by the amount of time it took you to earn that revenue. And that's your average billable rate. And that becomes very handy because you can start to segment that by different clients, different types of projects that you're doing. Maybe we're building a funnel for this client. We're building websites for that client. And over time, you can start to surface insights on what kind of clients and projects do we make the highest average billable rate on? Which ones are we most efficient at earning revenue in? Are there particular areas of a project that we are scoping really poorly or that we're scoping really well, right? And once you have those three numbers in front of you and you're tracking them on a regular basis, you have a bit of historical data, then the next step is to just sit down with your team, look at this information and start asking questions about why. The data should never be used to say, hey, Chris, you're doing a really crappy job. You went over budget on that website project. The data is used to say, hey, Chris, I noticed that the budget that we had created for this website was not even close to what actually happened. Why do we think that is? What assumptions did we make when we were scoping this website that were incorrect? Is there a part of the process that we're, you know, maybe missing an opportunity to be more efficient in? Facilitating those conversations with the team on a week-to-week -week basis is how we'll start to service insight and over time develop processes to be consistently profitable on our services. And that's ultimately the goal of tracking this information and then reviewing it on a regular basis. So I hope that's concise for everyone. That is the spark notes on where to get started in terms of tracking your core metrics and your agency. That's awesome, Marcel. I really appreciate that. I, I wish you had been around when I got into <laughs> freelancing and agency. I feel like I just pulled the trigger and rode the bullet and everything was always like learning the hard way, learning the hard way, learning the hard way. I'm thinking about and, you know, like capacity. I remember when I sat down you know, and, and I, if I sold something that I couldn't personally deliver, I'd have to go hire somebody real quick. And then here we are, you know, several hours later with all these people. And, and then we're just trying to like keep the glue and the duct tape together. But, uh, and, and I remember like capacity, like things would have to become a problem where, you know, we're overselling or we're not managing client expectations on timelines because we're not really so we had to create a whole spreadsheet to figure out like capacity and forecasting and sales pipeline all this stuff and it was hugely manual and painful and took a lot of time and um yeah 
Tell us. And that's still the case today. It's funny (laughs) because the story that you just told me is a story I hear every single week, you know, from dozens of of different agency owners that I'm talking to, most of them through no fault of their own, like we're just really good at what they did. They built great websites and people were like, Hey, can you build me a website? (laughs) Fast forward five years. They're like, Oh shit, I have a business now. (laughs) Like I, you know, it's just almost like by accident, you end up with a business and then you have to like work backwards into, okay, well, what is my business model? Like, how do I manage this properly? And you go on this really steep learning curve. And so my hope is that, that, you know, and we're creating lots of content on our podcast, on our blog, that if you're an agency owner in that position today, and you're just kind of realizing like, I I need to um, learn a little bit more how to, how to manage this business that I'm running, that uh, we can make that easier um, to learn how to do. And then also that we'll have a tool that'll avoid you having to build a bazillion spreadsheets to try and stay on top of this. Because as you know, when you are inundated with client work, which most agencies are there, there's, you know, there's never not client work to do for most people. Um, If you have to spend an hour building a spreadsheet to answer a question, you're just not going to build the spreadsheet. It's going to happen, you know, maybe once a year at the quarterly offsite, you're going to run the spreadsheet. You're going to go, oh, geez, we really messed that stuff up. And then you're just going to move back on to keep doing the same thing. Like you're not going to get anything productive out of it. So uh, we're hoping that we can make that easier so that more people can do it because it's important and it makes a huge difference as I'm sure you learned. Well, agency owners are strapped on, on time and, you know, their own capacity and stuff like that. What, tell us a little bit about Parakeeto. I have more, a lot more questions for you, but what is, (laughs) what does your software Parakeeto do? Yeah. I mean, our software basically helps you track those three core numbers that I just told you about um, and do so without needing to waste a lot of time on spreadsheets. So what we found was that we needed to go through that process if we wanted to answer simple questions like what clients and projects are most profitable for us? What parts of a project didn't go as planned? You know, what is our average billable rate and how does it change depending on who we're working for, what kind of things we're doing? What is our utilization? How is that changing over time? What is our capacity? How much work do we have booked against our capacity? So all these kinds of things that are super important that help us make better strategic decisions that help us run our agency in the right way. Um, we're too hard to get to. So we're building a platform that makes that a lot easier and does it in a software that allows you to um, query it and run reports that you otherwise would not really be able to run inside of a spreadsheet and ultimately just give the power to the small agency owner to have that information in front of them, which generally in the past, only huge agencies with enterprise level software have had access to. Uh, So we're trying to democratize that a little bit and make it easier for the average Joe to just stay on top of their numbers and run run a great agency. I think this is really awesome and it's really professional. There's so much, you know, a lot of the talk on the internet around agencies about sales and marketing and high ticket clients and all this stuff. But the reality is, is you still got to deliver on whatever you sold. And to do that professionally, you need to look at the numbers and to be able to forecast. Um, Like what are some, if you have good optics into the, you know, the data and the health of your agency, what are some things you can see coming that might not be obvious. Yeah. So like what I just described earlier was kind of like what I would consider your level one. Like you're going from like your white belt to, I don't know what the next one is, your blue belt or yellow belt. Maybe it's yellow. I don't know. So that's like level one, get those three core metrics in place. But level two is actually not a big stretch from there. And the world of possibilities that opens up for you is absolutely incredible. So let's think about this for a second. If we know what our average billable rate is and we know what it's been over the last six months, that data is kind of normalized at this point. Then what we can do is look at our sales pipeline 
and we can look at our Wade pipeline and say, okay, we expect to close these three deals. It's $100,000 in revenue. We know that we make $150 an hour. Let's divide the $100,000 by the 150. That's how many hours we need available. Then we can look at our capacity and see, do we have that much time available? Oh, no, we don't. Okay, well, we probably need to start thinking about hiring somebody. Rather than being like, sweet, we just sold $100,000 worth of work. Oh, shit, we don't have a designer. We need to hire one yesterday. Then you hire the person, and you throw them into the fire, and they don't have a great onboarding, and then they churn out of your business in six months, or they don't meet expectations, or the client's not happy, right? How many times have we been in that situation? So, you know, just having like a few weeks or a few months of visibility can make a huge difference. So that kind of stuff becomes possible. We can also start to sit back and think about like, okay, we're offering all these services, which ones should we be really focused on? Who are our best customers, right? Like a lot of a lot of us are talking in the agency industry about niching down, right? Niching down, figuring out who your perfect customer is, figuring out what your perfect offering is. Well, now you have data to help you actually back that decision up and be, you know, some quant to like help you say, okay, this is our best customer because, you know, we consistently make great profit margins on them. We have a great process in place that is consistent in scope. Um, you know, our, our sales metrics are aligning to this. So really, once you have that foundation in place and you connect it to your sales pipeline, then you have all kinds of forward visibility. You can start to forecast your capacity and what's coming down the pipeline. Um, if you start to develop really great scopes of work uh, around your work. So this is another great thing is you can start to see like, hey, we are consistently going over budget on websites. So that allows you as a business owner to say, okay, well, let's evaluate our process around how we build websites. And depending on how you decide to structure your data and how granular you get, you might be able to see like, okay, the development side, that takes us about the same amount of time that we expected, but design takes twice as long. So now you know, okay, we need to focus specifically on the design part of this website building process. So your scopes of work get more consistent over time. And when your scopes of work get more consistent, well, your resource planning gets more consistent. So now your team doesn't work on weekends as often anymore. And now you're not scheduling them for, you know, 40 hours. And then because you didn't scope the thing properly, well, now they're working 60. So all of those things start to get regulated. Um, so you'll see that the equilibrium basically in the business becomes a lot more stable and that's good for culture. It's good for your pocketbook. It's good for everyone. And that's like, for me, the biggest reason that, uh, the software is important because I see a lot of agencies that unfortunately everyone's working themselves to death because they don't have control over this stuff and they don't really know what the scope is and everyone's always working weekends and it's just this crazy rat race. And I want to see people get out of that and get back home and spend time with their friends and family and recharge and show up you know, at the agency, ready to do great work, feeling good about it rather than always kind of feeling like they're behind the eight ball. Yeah, there's a lot of burnout out there. And, you know, unfortunately, and then the clients, a lot of clients out there have had bad experiences where agencies go dark or just disappear, or don't finish a project. And it's, it's just, a, it's just a, a tough cycle that goes on out there with a little bit of better management. It, everybody yeah. would be a lot happier. And, and one thing that I will say, um, and I just hate seeing this, but I've seen it happen so many times is that I think there's a lot of agencies out there um, that, and traditionally this has been the case, they just let their employees subsidize their poor management. You know, their team's working 80 hours a week when they should be working 40 hours a week because you, the management team's not 
they don't have good processes. They're not scoping properly. So the way to pay for that is to increase your utilization, right? Like these things are, there's just two levers, average billable rate utilization. So if you're getting $10,000 for a project, but you're working twice as much time on it, your average billable rate drops, well, your utilization has to go up to compensate for that. So the business owner is still like looking at their bottom line every year and being like, well, this is fine. But what they don't realize is that if their business was operating within regular constraints that are realistic, they wouldn't be profitable and the whole thing wouldn't work. So, um, I just hate seeing that. I think it's really an unfortunate situation that, um, is more pervasive than I'd like to see. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, I've seen that probably the most on developers where, you know, there's the whole sales and marketing and discovery and then this design process and then you collect the content and the project management and then it, it lands in a developer, like kind of the last in line. And it's, um, you know, it just wasn't, there's unrealistic expectations on timeline and, uh, you know, the, if the scope wasn't managed appropriately, it just kind of, things can go pretty rough at that point. Why yeah, is there, yeah. um, what are people doing? outside of the 65 to 75% utilization. I think I remember having an epiphany when I realized like that's okay to not have a hundred percent utilization, but what's happening? Like why, why yeah. isn't every hour billable? Well, because people have to like take vacation and people have to take weekends off and take their kids to soccer practice and, and go to the gym and, you know, relax and stuff like that. And internally, like you, you are probably going to have internal meetings. You're probably going to have office parties. You're probably going to have team off sites. You're probably going to give people some time to work on your own website. You're probably going to give people time to go and learn and develop their skills so they can be, stay on top of the latest trends in Facebook marketing or in, you know, stay on top of the latest technologies and work. WordPress. So, um, like every hour can't possibly be billable. Um, and if you shoot for hundred percent utilization, what's really going to end up happening is your team is just going to work 60 hours a week. Cause none of that stuff goes away. Um, you're just going to be holding them to this crazy utilization target. And another thing that I think is important to talk about is that like, there is no value in holding your team to an arbitrary utilization target, because here's what ends up happening when you hold them to a utilization target with no other context, when they run out of things to do, when the project is done, they're just going to sit there and make the logo bigger for an extra three hours so they can hit their utilization target instead of coming to you and saying, Hey, I'm done with that project. What would you like me to do next? It's not clear to me what I should be working on right now. You learn so much more from that conversation and you protect the cleanliness of your data, which is the most important thing. Because if they sat there and made the logo bigger for three hours just to hit the utilization target, now you think it takes you that long to do this thing that actually takes you three hours less. And now all of your data about your scope of work and how accurate that is, is muddied up. So I would caution people around utilization targets. I don't love holding teams to utilization targets unless we're also putting average billable rates and, you know, these other metrics in front of them so that they have full context and they can see the moving pieces. And we're really in that case, holding them accountable to performance and basically gross profitability or efficiency rather than just utilization. And instead, I would encourage you to just hold your team accountable to good time tracking habits, tracking all of their time, tracking it as honestly as possible and leaving context for you on why they're not doing billable stuff when they're not doing billable stuff. So letting you know in that note, like the project is done and there isn't another project for me to work on, or I'm blocked in my process or you know, so that you can learn because ultimately the point of all of this is to learn the things that are holding you back from becoming more efficient and scaling your business. So, um, that's my little rant around utilization. Uh, I hope that's 
that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, was, that was awesome. Um, you were saying that there's a trend you see where agencies or f- service providers are, are niching down. And mm-hmm. in this community of course creators and membership sites, some people may be adding a service that's not, it's, it's an add-on. It's a concept I call like course plus. You can do course plus coaching, group coaching, masterminds, events, services, mm-hmm. prioritized services, other products, all, and it, the list goes on and on. But if we are creating like a niche, a niche service as either an add-on or part of our package, um, and we're not like, and we're going to, we have the opportunity to not learn the hard way and we can start from day one by putting some best practices in place. You mentioned time tracking. You mentioned, mm-hmm. um, like what else just, if somebody's at the fortunate point of being at the beginning and they want to set themselves up for success, what should they do? Yeah. So, so I would basically think about this the same way that I would think about validating like a startup idea, which is um, validating my riskiest assumptions. So I would sit back and think about, okay, what's the service offering that I want to make here? What's the value that I want to get to the client? And then I would start to list out all the assumptions that I'm making when I'm trying to come up with the price, right? So set a, set a target, first of all, for the average bubble rate that you want to make on this service, right? Because And that should be based on what's the cost. Like if I'm going to end up hiring this out to some somebody else so that I'm not the one doing it all the time. What's that going to cost me? And then make sure that you're aiming for like a 50 to 70% margin, probably aim for 70 and you'll end up at 50. That's generally how it ends up working anyway. So start with that model that out. And then go and run some tests. Like don't start selling the service right away. Maybe grab a couple of clients and say, hey, can we do this for you? And then go through the process, track your time, and then sit back and analyze. Okay, I thought it was going to take me three hours to do this thing, but it actually took me four. So adjust your expectations, go back and do it again and do it enough times so that you start to get some consistency in the scope. And that'll help you figure out how you should be pricing it, how you should be delivering it, what the biggest risks are in that process. You know, what kind of things you can and can't control that are going to affect how consistently that thing goes, goes down. That is how I would approach adding a new service offering to my business today and knowing what I know. Um, and what that does is that avoids you getting into a situation, which I think a lot of people um, have gotten into, um, which, you know, I totally get, like, I'm, I'm a big proponent of like, just go out and sell the thing and then figure it out later. That's how most people operate. I think there's a lot of validity in that exercise as an entrepreneur to get yourself out of your comfort zone and just like, you know, start moving. But the danger in that, of course, is that you say, yeah, I'll do this for you for $1,000 a month. And it ends up costing you $2,000 a month to actually get it done on a consistent basis. But now you've set an expectation and it's hard to work backwards from that. Um, And unfortunately with services, that is a real possibility. It can actually cost you more money to deliver something than what you sold it for, which nobody wants to be in that situation. There's no amount of selling that will get you out of that problem. Yeah, that's, that's that's a really great point. Um, do you have any like high level things you're noticing as you look at agencies and um, like in what's happening in the economy? Like are agents? It's, I I just see more and more like it seems like there's a shift in how people are working. There's a lot more of this freelancer nation gig economy thing going on. Mm-hmm. Like what are you seeing just in terms of the agent agency life out in society? And, and yes. in terms of like people who in the past might have taken a job, maybe now they're starting an agency or, or maybe they're leaving a job to start an agency or maybe they can't retire. So they start an agency like what's what's going on culturally? 
Yeah, I see two kind of big shifts in the market. I think the first is that the micro agency is like really a big thing. So this is the idea that like, I think the the massive agencies, there's still a place for them, but it's just going to be basically at the enterprise level. But like the days of, um, you know, most agencies being huge and having hundreds of employees, I think those are kind of going away. And the boutique shop is really starting to dominate. And, you know, this is the boutique shop that can have five, 10, 20, maybe 30 employees. They're good at one thing. They're extremely good at one thing. They have great profit margins. You know, they've got their operations and their processes kind of figured out. Um, they just know how to do that one thing extremely well. It generates a great income for the founder and, you know, the team. And they're happy with that and they kind of dominate their niche. So I'm seeing that kind of becoming the prevalent model um, when we think about kind of scale in an agency. Not to say that the other things aren't happening, but that I'm seeing a lot. I'm also seeing, to your point, kind of the fragmentation of talent. And uh, I'm also seeing the in-housing of talent being more prevalent as well. So it used to be that if you were a creative, um, you were a sellout if you went and worked for a brand. But now brands are so cool and they're doing such great work that like you're not uncool if you're a designer and you go work at Airbnb. Airbnb is doing great creative work, right? Well, Simple is doing great creative work. So, And the cool thing about Airbnb is they'll pay you three times as much as you made at your agency and you get to go home at five or six every day and they cater lunch and you get it like a scooter to drive around campus on like it's crazy so it's like why wouldn't you go do that if you were a designer and I think it's putting a lot of pressure on agencies to become better operators and stop just like working and exploiting their teams because their teams don't have to put up with it anymore. They used to have to put up with it because like that was where you went to cut your teeth as a creative. There's still a little bit of that, of that around, but that moat is eroding very quickly. And then finally, with the prevalence of freelancer platforms, a lot of people just are going out on their own and they're just kind of working from project to project. Um, and What's interesting, though, about that is some of them still charge by the hour. And I think as freelancers, that's probably a more common thing. But a lot of work culture, I think, as a whole is changing to where, you know, we have as professionals often the luxury of being able to just go and work on a project. And the way that those projects are increasingly becoming structured to mitigate risk is they're saying, this is like a piece of the project. So maybe it's the, the UI for the website. And we want to bring in a freelancer for that. And this is the budget and this is the outcome that we expect. And it's up to you as a freelancer to say, can I take that amount of money, deliver that outcome and do so in a way that's efficient enough that I come out being able to put food on my own table. And so even as a freelancer, the, these problems of managing your utilization and your average bill rate and your capacity that weren't really things that you had to worry about before, in some cases are now becoming things that you have to think about, um, which is a bit of a shift in the way that we think about work and the way that we approach work. So these are some of the trends that I'm seeing. The fragmentation of the workforce and talent, more freelancers kind of popping up, in-housing becoming you know less uh, of a limited thing. It's happening a lot more often. And I'm seeing the fragmentation of agencies into smaller boutique specialized shops. What about um, uh, like the decision to, to hire versus contractor? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So the, the economics on this are really interesting because it's so much easier now to arbitrage uh, basically economies that are not as strong as ours over here. So, you know, generally in the past, the way that it worked was if I wanted to hire 
a freelancer, I was going to pay a premium for that because I'm not purchasing as much of their time in bulk. So I'm going to pay more for each incremental hour. So my margins are going to be lower, um, which is okay if you run, depending on what kind of business you run, because if you're completely distributed, maybe you have less overhead. So your labor costs can be higher and you can still net out to the kind of the same margins. But in the past, it was like I hire because if I can keep that person utilized enough, I make much higher margins on their time because I can hire a designer for, you know, 60, 70, 80, $90,000 a year. I can resell their time at 150, $175, $200 an hour. Um, and if I can sell 65% of their time, I make great margin on that. Um, but with the freelancer, I might have to pay $115 an hour for their time. And then I might only be able to resell it at 150. So the margin's a lot smaller, but now I can go find somebody in, an economy that's different than mine, like the Ukraine or, or India or something like that, I can pay them less than I would actually pay an employee. I can still sell their time at the same rate because of the way that I've priced it out with the client. I'm, I'm selling on value. I'm not selling on hours. So that, you know, the decoupling of that is, has been super helpful for that. And I can make absurd margins and I can still benefit from the risk aversion that is having a fractional workforce. Um, and so it works out better. So I think for some people, if you're in a situation where you have a lot of mechanical process that somebody doesn't need to have, um, well, you know, certain skills that somebody onshore, you know, might need to have in order to do something like, you know, especially in client facing roles and that kind of stuff where that stuff becomes more important. But if it's just a question of competency in a certain skill, then the opportunity to actually use a fractional workforce and hire freelancers is pretty big for you. And I would encourage you to look into that. Um, but I'm seeing that become a lot more common, like the entrepreneur that basically runs their whole business from a laptop. They don't have an office. They don't really have any overhead, maybe a little bit of admin support they've got a fractional workforce and basically they don't incur costs when they don't have work coming in which is obviously the risk with having a full-time workforce um, but depending on what you're doing the the right play in some cases and a lot of cases is still if you have the work coming in to hire the person in-house because the margins will be better especially if you're doing stuff that's you know requires a high level of skill or a high level of you know, client facing talents, um, and you've got to hire people that are expensive, um, as freelancers, you know, like a creative director, it's going to be hard to find those in, in an affordable way and still mark them up like at a decent rate. So, um, I think there's a lot of context around this, but freelancers are definitely becoming a more viable option with how easy they are to access and the level of skill that you can get for the price. If you go in and arbitrage another economy is, is pretty crazy in some cases. That's awesome. What is the name of your podcast, Marcel? It is called the Agency Profit Podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> There's nice. no mystery there about what it's about. <laughs> Straight to the point. That's cool. And um, if somebody wants to use Parakeeto, what tools can they get rid of or what's it like to make the transition? Like what do they Yeah, just tell us more how to like get into it. Like how do Yeah, they, so I, I think one of the challenges that we saw when we started the the company was that in order to get automated insights, you had to switch 
all of the stuff that you were using into an all-in-one platform, or you had to waste a ton of time on spreadsheets. There wasn't really anything in between. So what we're trying to do that's different is allow you to keep the project management tool that your team already knows and likes, um, because it's a big ask to get you to change off of that and yeah. keep your time tracking tool and keep your accounting tool. So basically in order to use Parakeeto, all you really need to do is be tracking your time, um, against your budgets. And as long as you're doing that and you have relatively clean time tracking data, then you can start using our product and, um, you don't have to make really any changes to the stuff that you're already using. And what you can get rid of is probably a lot of the spreadsheets that you're building all the time. So we're not going to try and replace any of those kind of fundamental tools that are so hard. Like it's so hard to find a project management tool that you actually love, right? That's, that's an ongoing process for most agencies. And for those that it's not an ongoing process, it probably took them a long time to like find the one that felt right. So like, I'm not going to ask you to change that. Keep it, come and see us. And all you really need is a time tracking tool. We'll have a conversation about how to structure that time tracking data. And then you can start using our platform without really disrupting your team or your workflows. That is awesome. Well, Marcel Petipa, he's from Parakeeto.com. He's at the Agency Profits podcast. Is that right? The Agency Profit podcast. Yeah, you can check it out on our website, parakeeto.com forward slash blog. Uh, we post all the episodes there. Or you can subscribe if you're an audio person on iTunes, Spotify, all the major podcast networks, probably the same places you're listening to this podcast, actually. Cool. And do you have any final words for the course builders and the people that build websites and services for them? Uh, yeah, a couple of things. First of all, I can't believe an hour flew by. Like that was a great chat. Um, so if you're listening to this and you're interested in learning more about this, um, there's a, and if you're interested in actually starting to implement this on your own without having to sign up for our software and pay for anything, we have a bunch of templates that we've been using with our consulting clients. Cause we, we do do some consulting around this and you can download those for free on our website. Just go to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit and you'll get templates, um, that'll help you calculate all of these metrics. You also get a cheat sheet that talks about how to calculate each of these metrics and all the benchmarks that I talked about today. So uh, if you're interested, go and download that because basically if there's one thing I want everyone to take away from this, it's that it's important to look at these numbers and I don't care how you do it, whether you're doing it on our platform or you're doing it in a spreadsheet, I just want to see more people do it because it leads to a healthier business for you and your employees and all the stakeholders attached to them. So um, please take an interest in doing these things. I promise you it'll benefit you in a big way. And if there's anything that I can do to be helpful, feel free to reach out. If you download that toolkit, you'll, you'll get access to my email. So uh, that's my final call to action for all of you. Awesome. Well, Marcel, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and insights to help all of us level up. Chris, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS, the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet. Mm -hmm.